Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. And because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. Father, we do thank you for this passage, Lord. It uh, can be a difficult one to understand. We, we ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment in our understanding and application uh, of the truths found in this section. And Lord, we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. So the very first word is it sort of is a flag in my mind because it's therefore. And the question that you guys hear me say this all the time is is what's this linked to? It's when we see this claw, this 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 word, it's 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 relating to something else. And it could go to the previous section, which I think it does. But I almost think it goes back further because the previous section is found up in it's connected to the very end of chapter thirteen. That whole section of waking up. And maybe I keep going back to that because I really like the idea of the whole water buckets and keeping people awake. And, and uh, I don't know. But, but, but he, he, he challenges us in that section to, to wake up because Christ is coming. Time is short. I don't care how young you are. It's going to be like this before you stand for, before Christ. We're all heading in that direction. It's not a game. And so he wants us to wake up and to live our lives for him because that's the only thing that matters. And as we get into chapter 14, those first 12 verses, last week I ended with the illustration. I think it was Rick that made fun of me at the softball game. He's like, you're the only person I know that plays a musical tuner as an instrument. And just to be clear, I didn't play it as an instrument. It was a game to me. It's like, and you could do all of this number. But that... But that tuner has always fascinated me with instruments. I am not a musically inclined person. All of these instruments make different noises. And I guarantee you, if I was to sit on each one of these things and start doing a little concert for you guys, I could make each one sound horrible. And, And you people who have the musical ear, you'd be covering your ears and wanting nothing of it. 
they were never designed to sound the same. But with that tuner, it's amazing that they all can be in tune with different sounds, different uh, thingamajiggers, whatever musical. I've ran out of musical words other than sounds. But when they go together, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I, when I go to a, a, like a, what do you call it, a play, and there's that little orchestra section, and there's tons of instruments down there. And before the play starts, it sounds horrible because there's like, the people with the violins, and they're all, it's like, oh, this is. But then suddenly when the play starts, and they're all in unison because their instruments are tuned, it sounds like one thing. And we in the church, what Paul is is getting at in Romans 14, we each could reach different convictions about gray areas in Scripture. But as long as we're led by the Spirit and we're walking with Christ, we sound beautiful together to the world. He says that concerning different convictions, he's not speaking of things that are laid out in black and white in Scripture, which I'll get I'll cover more in greater detail later today. But the issue was meat and and days. To some, they could even touch the meat because out of fear that it could have been sacrificed to an idol. And they just would rather not even risk it. There were days the Jewish people loved their holidays. This was, I mean, great, great festivals from the Old Testament. The Greeks didn't care. And so how does one who cares about a, a day that has great significance deal with those that are now christians that really those days mean nothing to them and so he says if you're strong don't have contempt last week i created another word i've I've created a lot of words in my history my favorite word is skeptimistic i've combined a pessimism with being skeptic skeptimistic why do we need to deal with two words i need i have one word Last week, in trying not to say content, contentment, I created contemptment. It's one who is filled with contempt. Contentment. We're not supposed to have contentment. I'm going to hold on to this one, and I'm going to create a gunner's dictionary down the road. But to the strong, the person who has freedom in Christ to, to, to exercise the, the eating of meat, even if it's been offered to an idol, Paul fell into this category. He says, you know what? There's no such thing as the idols are, are meaningless. There's only one God, one creator. So I'll eat meat. All things are clean. But, but the struggle that a person who has strength and their, their freedom to exercise the, the liberty which Christ has provided for us. When a weaker brother has convictions that are deep, begin to encroach. What happens is that person has a tendency of getting angry and bitter towards this this person who becomes a legalist. And and to the weak person, that's the the tendency is that God has convicted them, or maybe he hasn't, but because of their culture, their background, their experiences, they have these boundaries that even though they're free to exercise them, they've chosen not to because for them it's a super big deal. But, But then... The, the concern for that person is the person who's free. They begin judging the person. I can't believe I just went over to so-and-so's house. And, and I went to go get leftovers out of the fridge. And there was a beer in the fridge. <gasps> and then they start judging based on their convictions. 
And so where we ended is, is for those of us who are strong, those of us who have convictions and freedom, that we need to leave room for people to grow. None of us came to Christ with solid theology or understanding. And there's a temptation, I would say it's common for the Christian suddenly for a person to convert or God's working on them that we want to quickly power, just cram them with a whole bunch of theology and understanding. We need to leave room for them to grow. And, and the reasons we need to leave room for them to grow and that we can do this in our, in our differencing uh, opinions, in these first 12 verses, we see that for those who are in Christ, we have the same motive. Whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat that was served to idols during that time, both sides had trusted in Christ. Verse 6, we see, uh, um, we have the same motive. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat for the Lord does not eat, gives thanks to God. So, so our motives are the same, or they should be, that, that whatever convictions you have that aren't laid out explicitly in Scripture is right or wrong, these are things that we've reached different convictions we can be okay with that because our motive should be the same that whether you abstain for something or I have freedom to participate in that, our motive is the same that I want to please God. And we both, which I find funny is that when you talk about weaknesses and strengths and and particularly over uh, things that are very relevant in our our culture, things that people struggle with in our issue, whether it's type of worship, alcohol, education, things that are like that we we just get deep convictions over. And Christians fall on both sides. We both we tend to think that we have the stronger position, that we're more mature in the Lord, and that's why we've chosen this. But we need to understand that our motive is the same, that we want to please God. Second, we have the same Lord. I, I love the beginning of of corinthians where paul says some of you say that you're following apollo some of you say paul some of you say this no you follow christ we we all are christ and and in this section he says don't go judging that person because you're not his master christ is his master and finally we're we all have the same destiny that very last verse i didn't spend a lot of time here because we were rushed for communion but verse 12 so each one of us will give an account of himself to god this is serious this is this is aimed at the christian this is not that if you're a non-believer this verse is not at all rendered to you but we're told that it, when we die we're going to stand before the lord we're going to make count and we're not going to stand there and say let me tell you about my spouse we're not putting other people on trial you're standing there and i don't believe that this is necessarily like a for the Christian is not a, a, a trial of, of condemnation. This is, hey, this is, this is what I gave you in your life. I put you in this window. I gave you these resources, these gifts, these abilities. How did you use this? And we know that the ones that didn't are going to be burned away and we're going to stand there. Maybe you have one thing. I think God's going to say, good job. Or maybe you did a whole bunch of stuff. You know, you did this for that one person, all this stuff. I, I don't know. In my mind, I have, I have an imagination that it's going to be like a PowerPoint presentation of my life. <laughs> I might have one slide. I don't know. 
Now to the unbeliever, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but if you were to go to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, this, this chapter of the end, the books are opened. And it says that the dead will rise. Those who died apart for, from faith in God, faith in Christ, from Genesis to, uh, to Revelation. In the Old Testament, the faith was looking forward to the Messiah. And those, basically, they stand before the great white throne of judgment. And then they're cast into the lake of fire. Essentially, that my understanding of this, this is being transferred from jail into prison. But that's not really the subject of this. But the thing is, we all are, are moving. He says, therefore, how, how do we deal with our convictions? Then he says, let us not judge one another anymore. And I don't have a hard time with this phrase. It's, 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 it's simple. But we live in a culture that's, that's gone into the Christian world and and I can't tell you how many times I've heard, oh, we're not to judge one another. We're not to judge one another. We're not to judge one another. Look at it. It says right here, let us not judge one another anymore. Look at what Jesus said. Look at all these other places. Like, they have all of the verses memorized that deal with not judging. And then we have other critics who say, well, the Bible's filled of contradictions. Well, if you turn with me over to 1 Corinthians You guys can see it's behind me. First Corinthians chapter five. I thought that's where it was. I always get first and second Corinthians confused. I really feel like first Corinthians should be labeled second Corinthians because Paul's first letter to them was God didn't preserve it. I think it's because he was angry at them. And so in chapter five, this church in Corinth Corinth is a city where I believe that Paul wrote Romans from. This, this, is, this was a, a, a seafaring town, a metropolis. All kinds of bad stuff happened. It's, this is like, when I think, when I see the Jerry Springer show, well, not that I've seen it, but when I think of the Jerry Springer, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I used to, I used to see it. Uh, this is what Corinthians is to me, is this church that was like the Jerry Springer show, and Paul had all sorts of issues to deal with. And I don't have time to go over this whole chapter, but I do want to read it and make some comments. Now, look at what he says in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You've become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't Paul just say, don't stop judging one another? Yet right now he's saying, I judge. Is Paul in sin here? Is Paul wrong? You guys don't have to answer that. <laughs> Joshua said, no, that's the right answer. He's not wrong. We're going we're gonna to unravel this. Paul's saying, I'm not even there. I heard about this. I've heard about this guy who's taken his father's wife. There's a lot of speculation of what exactly, but, but Paul says, not even the Gentiles think what is happening is good. And this is happening in your church. And I have judged him who has so committed this as though I were present in the name of our Lord Jesus. When you are assembled 
and I with you would spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. <laughs> Is Paul sugarcoating anything here? There's a sin. I'm not even there, but I've decided when you meet, I've decided to deliver this person to Satan. This person's a believer. The reason he wants to deliver him to Satan, the ruler of this earth that we live in today, is for the destruction of his flesh. Is Paul condemning this person eternally? Absolutely not. Look how he finished. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, leaven always represented sin that a little of it basically grows to more that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened for christ our passover also has been sacrificed therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity of truth. Verse 9 is the most critical part where I'm getting at in this passage. Look what he says here. It's imperative that we get this in our minds. He said, I wrote you in my letter. This is a letter that was destroyed. Paul had already written them. We don't know what happened to it. I don't believe that it was God's word, God, for whatever reason. But he wrote this letter and he said, not to associate with immoral people. Now, they took that one way, and, and Paul said, okay, we've got to like clarify what this means. When I said not to hang out with immoral people, they understood it incorrectly. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then he would have to go out of the world. So I didn't say to stop hanging out with, like, the whole world's a sinner. I didn't say to go stop hanging out and associating with those outside of the church. Why would he say that? Because they don't need to be cleaned up. They need Christ. And the church is so guilty of basically looking at somebody who's not a Christian and saying, you're doing all of this stuff and we expect them to be living like Christians. And some, this is like part of my struggle even with politics. And Christian legislator, why are we trying to legislate stuff from people that we should not, according to Scripture, even expect them. Now, there's a lot of issues, and I'm not saying that I'm like that's a whole other issue. This is now we're going into gray areas. But, but his deal is we're not, we're not trying to clean the fish before they're caught. Catch the fish. But I actually wrote to you, verse 11. He's trying to clarify. This is what I was talking about. But I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Ouch. Those are hard words. Sister, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now, going back to Romans, before I touch on this. Verse 
This is an area that I feel because of our culture has crept into the church where we say judging is bad. Judging is not necessarily bad with how we do it. If we were to continue through Corinthians, if we were going into Second Corinthians, I believe it's in Second Corinthians chapter 5 or chapter 2 in the early part, the church heeded Paul's word with this couple or this, these individuals, I should say. And they repented. They, were, they repented. they were walking with God, but the church continued to slam them. And Paul says, stop. What you've done is enough. They've now repented. They're now walking. Now ease up so that you don't ever lose them. Church discipline judge, always has the aim of restoration. We're not to judge the outside. Those apart from Christ, we care about. They need Jesus. They're, they're acting and behaving the way they do because they're not Christians. But to the one who professes Christ, this is a, this is a whole other story. So when Paul in Romans 13, chapter 14, 13 says, let us not judge one anymore, we have to remember the context. The, the issue of judging and what they were being critical over is things that the Bible didn't necessarily lay out. Some of us have deep convictions about credit cards that you should have no absolute, you should never have a credit card or use credit at all. Other Christians are okay using credit response, like there's principles. If you're walking with God, you should get deep convictions. But but a lot of times your deep convictions aren't laid out in scripture. And so we want to project our convictions on other people. And, and that's what's happening here. Is that they each have their deep convictions over meat and, and, and drink and days. And Paul says, stop judging one another. That's not specifically in scripture. Now, in Corinthians, the issue that was going on was a clear violation of Scripture. And I, and I think at the end of this verse, it'll come together. The next thing he says is, but rather determine this. And I, and I love this. Over and over and over again, Paul wants us to think. Did you reach your convictions? Because some pastor way back when told you this, or it's your culture or whatever. We're to think through, why do we behave the way we do? What do we do? Why do we believe this? Where in scripture did I reach these convictions? He said, but determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And so now we're dealing with a stumbling block. Now here the issue, the stumbling block was this meat that's been offered to idols. It's been a, a, a days of the week. Issues that the Bible doesn't really speak on, that people are, have the freedom and liberty to, to, to conclude differently. And Paul says, stop judging and putting these stumbling blocks of, of non-essentials in the brother's way. Now, if a person is clearly violating scripture... And they're in sin, and I'm not saying sin over a conviction that's not laid out in Scripture. First Corinthians 5 laid out a whole list of stuff. 
Well, at that point, you're judging and confronting in love with the aim of restoration and helping them, which I'll get more to later in the rest of this passage. Your judging is not their stumbling block. Their, their stumbling block and obstacle is their sin. And so your judging should be removing that obstacle so that they could experience Christ. And this idea of not judging or not being critical, this isn't going into our culture of, of you know, those bumper stickers that the, of, of coexist of various religions. No, we have a stumbling block here that every person that walks through our door, they will be confronted with. And it's the cross. It's the scripture. This is a stumbling block that, that, that people must be dealt with it. But so often we put other stuff. What kind of music do you listen to? What do you dress? Why is your hair dyed? Why do you cut? Oh, you have short hair. Oh, you have long hair. Oh, oh, you do this. You're wearing that T-shirt. We put all of these stumbling blocks and the, the people never get to the gospel. And that's what we want to avoid. If a person is clearly violating scripture, we have an obligation to do something and it's never fun or easy. I'm thankful for the people who've confronted me on issues even before I was a Christian. I mentioned my, my dear friend who in high school when I was going down the, the area of smoking pot with, with friends of mine. And then my one friend basically grabbed me and said, what are you doing, man? You cut it out. I wasn't very loving. He was judging me. But as you know, a number of years have gone by, that guy has proved to be my friend. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend in love. And, and you want to get people on track. I, I think of that old chief when I wasn't even a platoon yet. And I dropped off, I dropped the litter and he chewed me out. He's chewing me out. He's judging my performance and he's confronting me. Uh, I'm certain that I'm alive today because of it, because I would have been lazy and I would have cut corners in other areas through my military career. But because of his wake up call to me, I dealt with stuff differently where if he said, oh, I don't want to judge Gunner. I don't want to confront him. I'll just let him No, Sometimes confrontation is needed, but that's not the situation here. This is over gray areas. Verse 14, look at this is Paul's belief on the situation of food. Paul is in the strong category. Paul had freedom. He says, now I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul says, you can eat meat. You can do whatever you want on these gray areas. You want to have a glass of wine with your meal? That's fine. The Bible doesn't say anything about having a glass of wine. The Bible talks about drunkenness. You want to eat meat that's been offered, it's not kosher? That's fine. You have that freedom. But his problem, he says, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, it is to him unclean. He says, I, I have this maturity that I understand this, but to the person who hasn't reached that maturity, to them it's unclean. Anna tells a hilarious story, although I do it better because I don't let the facts restrict me. She tells me a story of when she was a kid in Spain. And there was, a, there was corn that they grew and they had a hard time finding corn. As Americans, we like love our corn, right? Corn on the cob, it's great. They had Spanish friends. That they like, you eat corn? 
Corn is for the animals. Why in the world would you eat corn? And so they're like, this is great. And they had this Spaniard friend. And they're like, no, 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 you, you got to try it. We'll do it up the American way. Well, butter and salt, and it's amazing. And so they, John, my father-in-law, prepares this corn on the cob for the guy who has them over. And the guy's there with them like, I can't do it. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's corn. He's just eating it. He's like, I can't eat this. This is what you feed to the pigs. It's nasty. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's just corn on the cob. But to this guy, corn on the cob, it's just the foulest thing because of the culture. Now, John, as an American, is going, this is like a staple. What do you do for the 4th of July around here? Oh, wait a minute. We're in Spain. And this is, the food is clean. You have clear conviction. You have your conscience is clear. You can have everything, but then the one who doesn't. There's there's this idea of of we need to think about the other person. How do we deal with this? I, I told a story. We had Halloween, and I, I this girl in seminary who was like really struggled with seminary. We could have just said, "You're ridiculous." But talking with her and growing with and, and allowing giving her room to grow and, and heeding her conviction so that so that she wouldn't have to participate in something that for her was total witchcraft that she was raised with where they sacrificed animals and did all sorts of horrible stuff. This week I found a quote and I want to tell you a word. I quizzed Benjamin Johnson, he didn't know it, so that made me feel good. I had to look it up. Does anybody here know what the word uh and Benjamin, you can't answer this question because I already gave you the answer. Um, I have to find it here. Inveying. Anybody know what the word inveying means? So I'm going to read a quote. I'm going to put it up here. Inveying means to, to write against something, to, to, to use almost rhetoric in, in the case of proclaiming something. Now, look what Martin Luther writes. You can put it up on the slide. I'm going to read it, but I think it's this is like... Old English, so it's kind of like, it's the next slide, Isaac. Can you put it up there for me, please? It's the very next. There we go. Look what Martin Luther said. He said, fight vigorously against the wolves. Now, when he says the wolves, he's speaking of the church, which he was a part of. He was a priest. He was a scholar, a theologian. He had very uh, strong convictions what the church was doing wrong. I think this year, I think this week was the anniversary of the 95 thesis that he that he that he nailed on the door. Fight vigorously against the wolves, but on behalf of the sheep, not against the sheep. So you don't really, not against them, but for them. And this you may do by inveighing against the laws, writing against them, and lawgivers, and yet at the same time observing these laws with the weak, lest they be offended. Until they themselves shall recognize the tyranny, tyranny, and understand their own liberty. I saw this and I thought this is like powerful because what what he's saying is when a person has a conviction that isn't in agreement with Scripture, sometimes this has to do with our own backgrounds of where you were raised, where certain maybe prejudices are born, um, beliefs about how you practice religion. Uh, 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 for me, like being raised in the Catholic church, that you had an obligation, a duty to fulfill your Sunday 
worship, that you could do it on Saturday, you could do it at church. You had to stay there for some time. We always left right after communion. We never stayed for the very end because as soon as communion was taken, your obligation had been fulfilled. I didn't know why we were doing it. I was just thankful that we were able to get out of there. There are convictions that people get that aren't supported by scripture. If you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. To the person who is weak, my guess is that you feel strong. And the other thing is, I'm strong in some areas and weak in other areas, but I feel like I'm strong in all areas. But look what Paul writes. Galatians is the emancipation proclamation of of, of his writings. Look what he says in verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The, The yoke was teaching, was teaching about certain things. And so they were falling subject to a teaching that wasn't true with the scriptures. If you scroll down, we're not scrolling, I'm on a computer or my iPad, but on the Bible, you just read down. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And you can go back to Romans. So, So if you're strong in your freedom, and you have a brother who's weak, and in their weakness, they're abstaining. When I look at this issue and I think of the, the, the strong was the person who could eat the meat and the weak one is the person who could not eat the meat. I, I in my mind, I have them backwards. Because if you tell me I have to eat vegetables, like all I can consume is vegetables and steak is out for me. Any sort of meat, any, all barbecue is off the table. Pun intended. And I like barbecue, but then I reach this deep-seated conviction that, like, you know what? If I eat this meat, I'm defiling myself. I'm only going to eat vegetables, and I'm going to be disciplined about it. And then I develop this little system of religion and rules about I feel like that's the stronger person here. The person showing up with, like, you know, burnt end in their teeth every lunch. And like, dude, how strong are you? You've been at Mike's barbecue all day. Like, that's not very strong. I lost my place thinking about Mike's barbecue in my mind. We've been called to freedom. But, but, but when we have the freedom, we need to be sensitive to the other person. See, Christianity is about others we're not talking about watering down or or going soft on things that the scripture has said but but on gray areas if you can't really point to a verse that says thou shall not or this is wrong or passages that say these people shall not inherit the kingdom of god those are the ones that like really okay there's some warning there but paul here romans 14 verse 14 he says he knows that everything's clean but to him who thinks it's unclean it's unclean and he says because of your food your brother is hurt you are no longer walking according to love that's where paul ended 
in Galatians 5.13, he said, you've been called to freedom, but don't let your freedom offend. It needs to be balanced in love. And there's this balancing act. And it's difficult. And, and I felt terribly, I don't know if, the, yeah, this is the part where I'm supposed to, like, on this balancing act, it came to my mind. It's, you know, last week I sort of joked, I think I did it more during the second service than during the first service. But, but last, I mentioned that a few years ago, a guy had come up to me, and, and to be funny, I kind of told the story broader than it happened. He had deep convictions. Well, I don't know if he had deep convictions. That was sort of my, all he said was after the sermon, he's like, I agreed with everything you said except for one thing. And I'm like, what, what, what did I say? He's like, well, you said about ham. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what, what, what did I say about ham? I'm like scrolling through my brain. Like, I didn't say anything. I'm like, I, can you help me? Because I don't remember mentioning anything about ham. And he said it was during your announcement portion because it was around this time of the year. And he said, you can't wait for ham to be served tonight at the Thanksgiving celebration. I'm like, oh, I, I can't wait. I love ham. And I'm like, what, I, what's, the, what, what, what's the issue? And he said, well, I, I heard a guy on, on whatever say, that if a Christian shouldn't eat this ever. And I started talking with him. It wasn't that he like he was raised and I said, well, I, I like our stance in the church is that from the New Testament, like that I deep, like I don't believe that that restriction is on Christians today. So we would enforce that here. And I've been convicted all week because I kind of made a joke about it. Like I was kind of like, it, it wasn't as funny, but at the same time it is, I was making light of a situation that my stance would probably be different if we found ourselves in a place like Israel or the Middle East. If our very church was in like Saudi Arabia, our stance on what we brought to dinner would be totally different. But in our culture, it's a different sort of thing. We don't. And if there was an individual who was to come to the Thanksgiving thing and they're kosher, they wouldn't have ham. I'd say, don't worry. You don't have to eat ham. In fact, I'll even just get a to-go box for my ham, even though it's at the church, and I'll just, I'll eat it later. I'll just eat turkey with you. I'm fine with turkey, too. I got no convictions again. I like turkey. I like all, I mean, I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to food. But it's this balancing act, because it's easy for us to so make decisions out of fear that we're going to offend somebody. And if you're the person who's easily offended, you need to also like, oh, well, I have this conviction. And so like me personally, like I don't drink, I don't consume alcohol. It had nothing to do with religious convictions. It had to do with, I wasn't given the gift of moderation. And so I guard myself when I see like a Christian who has a beer. I can't go judging them because they're not violating anything. Like they're, they have that freedom and I have to keep myself in check. But it's this balancing act and trying to get it just right is difficult but look what he said the 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 hope 15 here the deal is love and so do can i even though i have freedom to do something will i restrict my freedom because i love this person and sometimes that that could be how you have to respond that that you'll 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 restrict your liberty for the sake of another person now, if I'm on the other end of the spectrum, what I said about alcohol, this is like I've had to over the years really had to get myself in check, like to where it's not so, it's not really so much a struggle for me anymore. 
But, but there were times early on when I saw a Christian with like a beer, a glass of wine, and man, in my heart, I was like, they're obviously not very mature. Can't believe they're stumbling me right now. <laughs> like, what, like, it's easy to start casting judgment. But, but I had to say in love, saying, you know what? They have that freedom. The Bible doesn't say anything against consuming alcohol. The issue is drunkenness. And personally, I take a very strong stance against alcohol because my life has been ravaged because of alcohol. I've seen friends get into terrible trouble. I have a little resisting evading arrest because I'd had probably 20 too many that night. That, was, that wasn't last weekend. This was a long, long time ago. So, But also, sometimes love is confronting somebody. I had us turn away from Galatians, but it's the very same issue over the freedom, the meat, circumcision, these very Jewish things. And in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 14, Paul strongly scolds the apostle Peter. He says, Peter, you had this vision from heaven with the sheets and all things were clean. And as that happens in Acts, he's, he's called up to to uh, Caesarea to to meet with with, with who Cornelius. Cornelius this Italian this and he goes up there and God's showing him that all things are clean and and Peter recognized that okay my can my this these Jewish dietary laws that I've placed upon myself God is saying all things are clean eat and he went along, he went this way with Gentiles but then Paul in Galatians chapter two he says. Paul, I confronted in front of everybody because as soon as the Jewish people came, he suddenly like dropped his piece of bacon, brushed his teeth and Listerine really fast. And, hey, guys, how you doing? Oh, I'm totally against that meat. I'm yeah, we need a, a we cannot eat that stuff. That is unclean and you'd be defiled. Paul says, Peter, what are you doing? And these are two men that God used in powerful ways. Both apostles both wrote books of the Bible, and yet Peter stumbled back into legalism and Paul confronts him. And it's recorded in scripture. So God has like ordained his calling him out. So sometimes love means, hey, I'm, I'm going to give up my freedom to do whatever because I love that person. Or it means, you know what? I have deep convictions over this, but, but in my love, I'm not going to judge my brother over this. Or the hardest, I really think, is in love, I see my brother in sin. I need to confront them, but man, I don't want to confront them. It's hard. It's, a, it's the thing I dislike the most, it, 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 being a Christian, being a pastor. I'll never forget when I was blogging against this dear guy that was a, a seal brother. He was getting married, and I was just... Hey, hey, will you do my wedding? And it's like, hey, awesome. And we met. I'm like, so what's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. And he's like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm still a, I'm a believer. And like, I wasn't sure about where he was, but I, he's like, yeah, I'm a believer. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, I'm with a girl. I, when a seal calls me, I never know if it's like, oh, somebody got pregnant or something died or like, what's the deal? So I'm kind of like trying to like sort through the weeds. And he's like, no, I met this girl in church and we're, we're, we want to get married, and I was—I thought it would be just awesome if you do it. I'm like, that's great. Let's sort of talk through things. What's going on? And 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 so the whole 
situation that they were living together kind of came up. And I never really said, oh, I, I won't marry you. I won't do, like, I was just trying to, like, I'm like, oh, so is this the best situation? Kind of ask some questions. And he's like, well, I, we've tried stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just, you know, like, it wasn't really even that big of a deal. Next thing I know is this girl had said, you know, God loves us the way we are. And I can't believe the Christian church is continuing to judge. And I'm like, whoa, she's not happy with me. And God does love all people. He accepts all people. But he loves, like, what's that saying? He, he loves us enough not to leave us the same. That he wants us to progress, to wake up. So anytime there's confrontation on sin, I hate, I hate it. But I believe that the Bible has called us to discipline and to, to call out in love over issues that are black and white in the Bible. Okay, where are we at? Verse 16. He goes on to say, therefore, do not let what you do not let for do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. I, I love this. Paul's like backing us up. Look at the big picture. Don't let your freedoms crush another spirit because the, the, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking and this enjoying this life. He says, but the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. He says, guys, it's about righteousness, peace. Walking with the Lord, we seek to, uh, to, to be pleasing to him. And when your relationship with, with Christ is in this way where you want nothing more to please him, because you've woken up, because you want to walk with him, you recognize what he's done for you, then your whole mentality changes. It's no longer for me, like, how far can I exactly go and kind of be good? Like, where's that line of mediocreness? Like, it becomes like, no, Lord, what do you want? I, all I have is yours. Everything, whatever you want for me, I'll do it. And if we're living this way, it says that you'll be acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue things which make peace in the building up of one another. That's our aim. We're in this together. We want to build up with one another. They keep the, the main things, the main things. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are clean, but they are evil for the man who gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. When I read this verse about don't tear down the work of God, I there are certain people that I think of that I, every time I see them, it's like, this is their one thing. And I always hear about it. To go back a time to kind of not. There was a guy when Ann and I first were married. He was cute. He was like a grandpa. So grandpas can get away with a lot more than like other people can. But whenever he, whenever he got around a young couple that was just newly married, he's like, you guys have been married nine months. Where are the kids? You've been married two years. Why don't you have tooth already you guys been married five years and you only have one kid be fruitful and multiply and it was like hilarious but it's like man but then he came to me and he's he said it to anna like right around when we like had our the miscarriage and it's like dude you are i want to punch you 
like, this isn't great. This isn't like, no, live for God. And, and that could come with kids. It could come, come with not kids. Like, this is in God's hands. Or whatever the issue is that's not great. If you, if that, if you're what you're proclaiming is not Christ and him crucified and we want to walk with him and it looks different for different people, we get on our hobby horses and ultimately what happens is you can tear down the work of God because you, you don't know where that person is. It says, verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. I love this. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. This is, listen, you have your convictions, these gray areas. Go for it. Like it's, no, we should have deep seated convictions from scripture about everything that you do. Don't just I mean, I almost said laissez-faire. I think that's the right word, isn't it? That just means to kind of float through life, not to think about. The, the Bible calls us to know, what are you doing? Why are you doing? Is it a pleasing to God? Are you glorifying him? Yes, dude, live that way passionately. Wake up because you're going to stand before him one day. But recognize that your convictions, your passions may not be black and white in scripture and god may convict some in that way and god may convict others in a different way and he may have his i mean of course god has his reasons but that person could have those convictions for certain ways and we need to leave room i love the saying that i heard early on that we're to hold ourselves to the highest biblical standard that we can and to hold everybody else to the very lowest biblical standard that you can We normally flip-flop that. We normally hold ourselves to the very lowest biblical standard and everybody else to the very highest standard. But see, when we we seek that I want to maintain the highest biblical standard in my own life as I walk with Christ, and I'm not perfect. I've got all sorts of to-do things that I'm trying to work out. But then when I look at everybody else in my role as a pastor, really... As I'm seeking to help people, it's, it's hard when you have convictions to say, why don't they have that conviction? And so my standard is, what is the very minimum? Now, I don't want you to shoot for the very minimum. I want you to shoot for the highest. But if I'm going to exercise discipline or instruction or anything like in a person's life, I'm holding the lowest biblical standard. What does the Bible actually support my conviction that if you're not doing this, you're wrong? I, And the reason he says this, look at the verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned. He who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith. What you don't want to do is you, if somebody has a conviction and you agree with it, don't just say, go for it. Don't be the kid at the swimming pool who the kid for the first time on the high dive is like, I don't want to do this. It's like, boom, (laughs) just to get over it. We try to do that in the Christian life. I have deep-seated convictions about fill in the blank. We're like, just push through it. No. Because then you condition a person to push through what the conscience which God has given us. And the scripture says clearly that your conscience can be seared. You get used to keep flipping that switch or, or going across that conscience. Eventually, your conscience is no longer there. And so it's better to allow God to use his word 
to adjust their convictions. Or maybe God keeps that conviction on them for life because they need that. Because he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is not eating from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. That's a big one. We want to walk by faith. We want to help each other walk by faith. We need to understand that we each will have different convictions over certain things. But the key is love. And it's a balancing act that we need help with. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding, Lord, um, over things in our life, in our culture, in our church. Lord, help us to find this balancing act, Lord. We pray that all that we do would be in the intention of glorifying you, honoring you, living for you. Lord, help us to see things clearly, Lord. Lord, we want to stand for your truth, your word, Lord. We want to be accountable to one another. I am thankful, Lord, for the dear friends in my past and presently, Lord, who I've been able to go to and and ask for correction or if they see correction, they love me enough to, to confront me with the truth. Lord, I thank you also for those in my life that as I've been struggling in gray areas, Lord, that people that have given me room to grow, given me the ability to come up with my own convictions from the scriptures. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to grow in our conviction and our passion and walking with you while finding this 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 place of balance, Lord, where we know the difference between conviction and things that are laid out clearly in Scripture. Father, I thank you that we have, we do, I do believe we have a loving church. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to guard our unity and our love for one another. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.